Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. So Peter, please could you introduce yourself and where you work, please, today? So my name's Peter. Um, I'm a paramedic practitioner um, at Mepham Medical Centre. Uh, and previously, I've been a PCM paramedic and also worked within hospice care and various community teams as well. Before coming into general, was working in um, LMN PCN, was that your first kind of stint in general practice or had you done things before then? So that was my first stint in general practice full time. Um, Before that, I was part of a primary care home visiting service, which um, worked on behalf of a GP federation. Um, So I was used to working with lots of different surgeries and doctors, um, but it was the first time I'd worked within a GP practice itself. And what attracted you to work in primary care? So for me, primary care, what attracted me was that you get to see patients from start to finish. Um, so traditionally paramedics, you know, within the ambulance service, see people within emergency urgent care situations. Um, and that's the end of the encounter. Um, so you never get the follow up. You never generally get to see people again, although you do see some people more regularly. Um, but you don't get to see them from start to finish. Whereas in primary care, they come in to see you with undifferentiated diagnosis like abdominal pain or you know, shortness of breath, and you see them all the way through the process. You order all the tests, you go through, you get the diagnosis, and then you manage them from start to finish, um, which I, I really, really like. Um, and it's the, the detective work. So it's, you know, they come in with abdominal pain, and that's, you know, all you get. And you have to dig into what's causing it and pick the right tests and pick the right diagnostics to be able to find out what's going on with them. Um, I also like the fact that, you know, you're you you have a workload and you're you're left to manage it. You know there there isn't necessarily the the chasing that you get within the ambulance service. Are you ready for another job? Are you ready for another job? You know what your workload is from from start to finish. You've got your appointment list and you are left to to get on with it. But equally, you have the support then and there of senior colleagues such as the registrars or you know uh, the GP partners, all of whom are really really um, supportive to do what's best for patients and and that's what I really like. So you've touched upon it so what does a paramedic practitioner do within a in a general practice context what do you do? So a paramedic practitioner um, falls under the the, uh, sort of health education England bracket of um, first contact practitioners Um, so a first contact practitioner will see undifferentiated diagnosis so that means someone who comes in like I say with 
you know, a presenting complaint such as shortness of breath, for example, and you have to work out what is causing that and then devise management and treatment plans for that patient. It may mean that they've got a chest infection and you need to sort out some antibiotics to treat the chest infection. But equally, it might be that you need to order further diagnostics such as blood tests, x-rays, ultrasounds, echocardiograms, all of which are accepted from you as the paramedic practitioner. Um, so it doesn't require someone else to sign it off. You are given the responsibility to do that. But on the flip side, you have the responsibility to read and interpret those tests and then make a judgment based on that. Um, I see basically everything um, from that point of undifferentiated diagnosis. There's a few things that I won't see because they're outside my scope of practice. So things such as you know gynecology, uh, pregnancy, I won't see patients necessarily in that respect complex mental health um i don't see but i do see you know people presenting with their first mental health complaints um and you know screen them and support them in that respect before referring them on to my my mental health colleagues um and i also do uh ward rounds frailty reviews um and also the long-term chronic management of conditions such as heart failure um dementia end-of-life care um so yeah it's a very very broad role um, from the simple care of a chest infection to the complex and end-of-life care of patients with complex conditions. Do you prescribe? I don't at the moment. Um, that is the next step. Okay. Do you know how long the prescribing course is? Six months. Six months, okay. So it's a master's module. Uh, it's a double module, so it's 60 credits module is prescribing. And outside of prescribing, what other training opportunities are there for you? What did you and what did you need in order to be able to work in general practice or did your training cover it? So your initial paramedic training won't cover what you need to cover to become a practitioner within primary care. Okay. You need to have done um, enhanced clinical assessment, which is your level six. Yeah. Um, which um, is done at various universities and lots of paramedics do it so that they can move into urgent and uh, sort of primary care. Um, within six months of starting, um, the framework is that you have to have engaged in a master's advanced clinical practice course. Um, so those at the moment are being funded by the Health Education England taught route. Um, so that's opening up to a lot more people because obviously funding is usually the yeah. crux of the matter. Um, so that is being um, done at the moment. Um, so that will get you your first three modules um which will then allow you to access a prescribing course um which is the way it's gone now previously it wasn't as you know sort of regulated in a way so yeah. people were getting onto prescribing courses without having done bits and bobs and don't get me wrong they're passing prescribing courses so they're clearly yeah. intelligent enough to do it and safe enough to do it but now what they're doing is saying no before you get on a prescribing course you must have done your advanced clinical assessment modules and at least a module on managing complex patients. Okay. So Health Education England have now rolled out this thing where they say, actually, you can do a PG cert in um, first contact practitioner, advanced clinical practice, which will then open the door for you to be able to do your prescribing. Or alternatively, you can step off the pathway at that point and not be a prescriber. So okay. if you don't want to do your prescribing, you can step off that pathway and you are a first contact practitioner who doesn't prescribe or you can stay on the pathway finish your complete masters and become an advanced clinical practitioner so there's you know there, there, there's options there um 
depending on what pathway you want to take, um, which is quite nice as well, because I think if people came into primary care and we just said, no, you've got to do a master's in advanced clinical practice, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. I think that would turn off people to it. Whereas if you say, actually, no, you can sit on this pathway or you can sit on this pathway, depends what you want to do. And you can step off at a point that's comfortable for you. So that that's quite nice in that respect. What support do you need in your practice or PCN to be able to do your PG cert? Because the workload is will be significant yep. on both sides, you know, like your day to day clinical work and yep. then studying. So what yeah, support do you so need? So part of the PG cert and master's programme is you must have a clinical supervisor. So uh, either a GP trainer um, or um, uh someone who's done their ACP it's done their full masters and is an accredited trainer um, and you need to have at least a minimum monthly supervisions with them um, and they are the ones that will sign off a portfolio of evidence to say that you have exhibited the skills that are required so that you can practice at an advanced level um, that portfolio um, covers uh, the four domains of advanced clinical practice um, and is a mix of your actual physical, you know, sort of your physical assessment skills. So, you know, the listening to your chests and, you know, all the physical assessment skills, um, but also diagnostics such as x-rays, bloods. Um, even if you're not a prescriber, to have the knowledge that you know what should be, you know, prescribed in various circumstances and where you get the guidance to do that. So local formularies, national formularies. Um, best practice evidence you have to exhibit that as well um how you deal with um sort of uh, conflict almost in in practice so when you butt heads with patients or colleagues how you get over those you know those bumps in the road um and are able to still practice holistically and still practice within your code of conduct and ethically um and then also about research and being involved in projects um, so for my portfolio, um, the project I did was around um, respect, which is the national um, yeah. end of life um, sort of framework that's been rolled out within Kent now and has replaced DNA CPRs. Because of my background, I was involved in that. And then I taught it to my GP colleagues. So, you know, you have to be involved in all aspects of that advanced clinical practice okay. to be able to then pass that course. Um, so that's sort of the advanced practice part of it. So there's a talk part. There's the workplace placement, um, which is where you're exhibiting that you can do it. Um, and then the other module for the PG cert is the managing and leading complexity. So finding those complex patients. So you're not going to get that without seeing complex patients. So if you only see chest infections, abdominal pain, you know, those urgent on the day stuff, you won't get that what you need in that final module um which was my experience because when we did that it's a group presentation and it had to be one of my cases because the other three people who were within my group only see acute on the day okay so you know you need that broad spectrum do you feel that given the education and training that you've undertaken do you feel you get to fully are you operating at the top of your license yeah, where where I work now, I am absolutely. Um, I think the problem, having been on a national course now, um, because the, uh, the modules I did were taught nationally via teams, so it was quite nice because then I got to see people from lots of different areas and how they work. 
I think it is quite varied. Um, and I think sometimes, um, partially maybe, you know, paramedics themselves not advocating enough for themselves, but also sometimes the wider community within healthcare not knowing what we can do. Yeah. Um, and that's been, that's been something I've experienced throughout my career where you turn up and they, you know, and you get, you know, consultants, nurses, doctors, whoever it might be from the wider healthcare community going, Oh, well, you can do that, can you? Um, and I think that's still a little bit of it. There's such a wide range, which is why the Health Education England sort of framework says, no, if you're at this level, this is what you can do, um, which I think is why it's really important, because I think up until now, it's been very individual. Um, and there are some people who absolutely you know, have more knowledge in one area than another. My example is that I have a lot of knowledge within palliative and end of life care. I've worked in a hospice. So, okay. you know, that that's my area of expertise, whereas some of my colleagues have got no experience yeah. in that. So it's still very personal, but it's good that we're getting this sort of benchmark of if you're in this level of practice, this is what you're expected to do. Um, so, yeah. Do you think that there are opportunities? So where you say you've got the expertise because you've worked in a hospice, Mm-hmm. So it makes sense for you to get involved in the frailty stuff mm-hmm. and the enhanced care and care home. But if I was a paramedic that didn't have that that experience, it's like when you say you have to learn to advocate for yourself, how does somebody get the experience? How do they broaden their role when they don't have the experience? What do you need to be able to do that? So I think you need the ability to step up and take a leap sometimes. And when, you know, if you only see a very narrow spectrum of patients, you will never broaden that. Um, so when I started within um, the PCN, I went out with, at the time, the doctor that was doing the ward rounds within yeah. the care homes. So what I did was I went out with them and built up my knowledge alongside them. And then once I was happy, went and did it myself. So I think you have to be open to almost stepping off and out of your comfort zone and going actually I need to do this um but what is nice is because you've got GP colleagues around you and yeah. as long as you've got very supportive GP colleagues you know I know that I can just go and knock on one of the doors and go I haven't seen this before I don't know what it is and they will come in and they will say okay let's have a look right this is what it is and then you go away and you've got to be willing to then go away and learn so if you don't, if you haven't seen something before, you've got to be willing to go away and go, right, in my own time, I've got to read up on this so that when I see it again, I know what it is and yeah. I know how to manage it. So there's a lot of emphasis in advanced practice of your own development. So you've got to be willing to go and, you know, do those courses, go and do that reading and that research to improve your knowledge. And the thing about primary care I found is, almost every day is a school day Um, and that's not just for me that's my GP colleagues as well because we had someone the other day who had to have uh been bitten by a cat in some you know middle eastern country and then we were told oh well you've got to do rabies immunoglobulin and we all looked at each other and went not a clue including the senior GP partners who all went "Uh, no idea so we all had to go away, sit down and read yeah. up on it. So it's not just us that have to do that, yeah. which is really nice to know. Our GP colleagues sometimes will go, huh? not sure. But equally, they'll also defer to you 
if it's something that they know you know more about. So I find paramedics know are a lot more attuned to sort of the sometimes social needs of patients. So when we go and do home visits, we see people and what they need. So therefore, we're a bit more attuned to what we can get support wise in terms of social and and care needs. Um, And quite often, my GP colleagues come to me and go, I've got this. Who do I refer it to? Because you know the social care pathways. So who is the best person to deal with this? So so that's really nice as well. So we play off each other's strengths. But yeah, like I say, you have to be willing to go and do that reading. And when you don't know something, just say, I don't know, but I'm going to go and find out. Um, and then that builds your knowledge again and again and again. Um, so, yeah, you just have to be willing. But you also have to advocate for yourself in that you have to be willing to say, I don't know. Or saying to, you know, if you work in a practice, actually, these are the things I'm not comfortable seeing. Um, so, for example, I, I will say I don't see any under twos. Um, in terms of children, I'll see anyone two and up. I haven't got an issue with that, but because of the complexities of much younger children um, and babies, I don't see them. You know, okay. that that's for a doctor to see. And that's me that's just said, no, that's where I'm drawing the line. Um, okay, so I, you, I, 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 okay, so there's a scope of yeah. practice, but also you've got the yeah. freedom of flexibility to say, I'm, yeah. I, I'm not going to do X, Y and Z. Yeah, so I'm not going to do internal exams. For example, so I'm not going to do rectal exams. I'm not going to do vaginal exams because in, I'm not experienced enough and I, I don't feel I know enough to be able to do those things. Um, and equally, patients generally want to see a doctor for something like that. And I haven't got an issue with that at all. Okay. So, you know, it's about finding where your your line is, but being very, very open to expanding your scope. So at some point, I am sure that I will have to do rectal exams and things but yeah. that's where I then have expanded my scope through further learning and experience rather than um I think the, the issue within the difference between sort of paramedic so allied health professionals such as nurses paramedics um we're very much that taught route where we get taught something and then we you know experiential learning where you go and have placements and and all those sorts of things the difference is between that and our doctor colleagues is that doctors have this thing of uh, see one do one teach one so they get shown it once by a senior doctor they then do it and then it's like all right well there you go you've done one now so off you go (laughs) and then when the next junior colleague comes along they go well you've done it already so you go and teach that one how to do it so you know and I think that's sometimes where the lines are a bit blurred because I think the doctors are so used to that they're like well you've done it once so it's fine it's like it doesn't mean I'm competent to do it (laughs) (laughs) so you know and I think that's that's where the difference is between but like I say where I work the my GP colleagues are brilliant and they are really really you know really supportive so what does a good induction look like I'm brand new to general practice primary care or say general practice what yeah what does a good induction look like working with everybody within the practice so doing you know for example uh, a new paramedic coming into our practice will sit with me but they'll also go and sit with the GP they'll also go and sit with the nurses they'll also go and sit with the healthcare assistants and what also would be good is to go and sit with the secretaries you know so that you have an understanding of every single part of practice Um, because I think for me that was one of my things when I came into primary care Um, there wasn't a great induction um so it's like you know they said wait just dictate a letter don't you and I went eh? I've never dictated a letter in my life 
I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, so it's getting that understanding. Whereas now, yeah. we pick up Dick's phone, yeah, blah, 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 done. Yeah. You know, um, so it's getting that understanding because there's lots of different things. And I think the other thing um, for paramedics in particular is there's a much greater emphasis on sort of uh, management, obviously, outside of hospital um, and this watch and wait sort of principle within primary care. So you prescribe some medication because they've got a chest infection. You know, even if it's quite a severe chest infection, it's not necessarily just send them straight to hospital. You know, so I think for paramedics, because they're so used to this quick fix of take people to hospital and, and things like that when they work with the ambulance service, you know, getting you have to get your head around that. Um, and it, it, it takes some time. It took me some time as well because I was like, oh, you know, this person's really unwell. But hang on a minute. No, we're not going to send them to hospital. Yeah. You know, if I'd come in an ambulance, I might have done. But actually, I need to get my head out of that world and into this world where actually we manage them at a much higher level with more medication and, and things like that and try and keep them out of hospital or use some alternative pathways to get them support in their home. Um, so the induction across all areas, but also getting your head round. actually you have these complex patients and actually sending them to hospital isn't the right way. You need to manage them at home. Um, so, yeah, that's getting your head around that is, is the big thing. And going out, you know, going out on home visits. So when the registrars, um, we're a teaching practice. So when new registrars come in, they come out with me on home visits. And it's an eye opener for them because they're used to a hospital or a clinic with full clean walls. And then you go into, you know, a house with hoarding or alcohol problems or other substance misuse problems. And it takes their breath away usually. And they go, oh, and I'm like, well, but this is reality. You have to go into these people. Um, and even if you wouldn't choose to live like this, they do. So you just have to get on with it. So I think that that's the important thing for induction across everything is to sit with all these different people and understand what everybody's role is because with the expansion of clinical pharmacists, um, advanced physiotherapists, all those sorts of new roles, I think you need to sit in with all of them so that you get an idea, even if it's just half a day so you know what they do so that you know when is the best time to refer to them for something um, and not try and take it all on to you. I think that's one of the things I learned within primary care quite quickly is actually you've got all these other specialties around you when is the time to say, actually, I'm going to make you an appointment with, you know, the musculoskeletal team um, rather than me? Because actually, yes, I can tell you that you've got arthritis in your shoulder, but actually to manage it more long term, you need physio. So it's learning all these different pathways that are open to you. Um, Yeah, it's one of the biggest things within primary care. Okay. When before we start, started recording, you mentioned um, obviously the end of like the end of the financial year you were working on quad. Mm-hmm. Um, what things are you doing to support that? So with quad, um, as you know, um, it's it's basically key performance indicators of how yeah. we manage conditions um, and how you know how well we've managed the long term chronic conditions such as diabetes, heart failure, dementia reviews, mental health reviews. Um, so part of that where I am at the moment is I take along a lot of the functional reviews um, around that. Um, So I see heart failure. Um, So every year um, heart failure patients should have a functional review. So I should come and see someone. We should talk about how their symptoms are affecting their day-to-day lives, up-to-date lifestyle, so weight, height, how their diet is, 
you know, so it's a real holistic view of what's going on. It's not just how you're getting on with your medications. Oh, that's fine. Then carry on. Yeah. It's more, you know, how is everything going for you? Um, and it's the same with the dementia reviews. So the dementia reviews are, you know, it's not just about, you know, how's your memory? It's actually how you're doing with your every day, any problems with continence, any problems with eating, drinking, um, any problems with sleeping. Um, and again, height and weight and, you know, blood pressure checks and do they need annual bloods because they're on other medication. So it's looking at the entire picture of the patient. Um, so when it comes to, to quaff, I've taken on those cohorts of patients they come and see me for half an hour if they're housebound I'll go and see them at home just so that we can get a proper overview because I think what's happened with COVID is because everything's been done remotely we've lost that completely because if you phone a patient how are you doing nine times out of ten on the phone oh I'm fine you know whereas when they come in to see you it's completely different ball game because you can see as soon as they walk in the room are they if they've got heart failure are they really short breath as they walk in the room? Yes. You know, whereas if you speak to them on the phone, well, they're sat down resting. So they go, oh, I don't really get very short breath. Whereas, you know, you can see a lot more difference. So, you know, that's what I've taken on, on board with that. Um, and also the annual structured medication reviews um, for the care homes. I do alongside my clinical pharmacist colleagues. Yeah. Um, so they review the medication. But because I know the patients, because I see them every week on ward rounds, I'm there to say, actually, no, you know, alongside the care home advocating for them, we can say, actually, in this case, this is how this patient presents. So actually, we could probably stop that medication or we could reduce that medication or actually they need to be converted to liquid. Um, so that's where I get involved in from a quaff IIF sort of um, perspective. And I do the weekly care home ward rounds, which is part of the EHCH um, criteria. Do you do the weekly ward round by yourself or do you have a GP yes. on you? do no i do it by myself and then we sit down and have a chat after i've been um with whoever the name gp for the care home is um and discuss any patients we need to discuss so a lot of the patients i see don't necessarily need discussion with the gp because it's you know maybe we think they have a urinary tract infection or a chest infection which is something i can manage if it's some of the other patients who are more complex and needs that gp input and we need to speak about the medications and you know things along those lines then we sit down and we discuss them after i've been on the ward round so it, the gp is involved but i've got the time in essence in my day blocked out so that i can go and see the patients and give them a lot more time than the gp would be able to um simply because with the gps it's just tacked onto their day somewhere yeah. in essence whereas for me it's you know protected time where no that's when pete's going into the care homes so therefore i can spend 20 minutes half an hour with a patient if I need to whereas the GPs don't get that that luxury as such um so yeah that's the way we work it I then also do one of the nursing homes we've got a very high proportion of elderly complex mental health patients not dementia these are people with you know severe psychosis and long-term um conditions where quite often they've been inpatients in hospital under detention under the mental health act for a long time um, so myself, um, the care home and the older adults mental health team, um, doctors and ACP, um, we do a monthly ward round together just to review that cohort of patients. So, again, we come in from an MDT point of view because um, a lot of these patients are on medications that actually with even within general practice, um, we would be 
we've got no idea what to do with, quite frankly, because they're unlicensed or they're being used in a way that require a consultant overview okay. and a psychiatric overview. Um, so we do that monthly as well, um, just because we identified that actually there is a large proportion of patients that we don't necessarily meet the exact needs of, whereas the mental health team, absolutely, that's who needs to be involved. So, yeah, that's the way we work it where, where I am. Couple more questions. People will be watching this. If they don't have a paramedic practitioner, they'll be thinking, oh my God, where do we find a Pete? <laughs> I, in my experience, trying to recruit paramedics has been really, really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any any advice you can give us? Like, where do we find and what do we need? It's not a competition, but how do we compete with mm. other networks and, and the ambulance service? How can we get people like you to come in? So I think one of the things um is a lot of us have come across from the ambulance service partially for a work-life balance um so in the ambulance service you're working 12-hour shifts which are always then extended to 14-hour shifts um and then you know you don't get that balance you know you're always off late etc whereas in primary care you don't get that um especially where i work actually um my doctors are brilliant they you know they say look yeah it's the end of the day have you done everything that you need to do that needs to be done today and the rest you can pen till you're in next? And actually, that was something I struggled with massively. But but it is absolutely true. And that helps my work life balance. I know at half past six, I'm gone. You know, I'm I'm home. Um, I go home at about half six. I work. So I work full time hours over four days, which is exactly the same as my GP colleagues. So I've negotiated that. Um, so I do. Yeah, I do. Um in essence, 10 hour days. But with, when you factor in um, your unpaid break, then that yeah. equates to 37 and a half hours a week. Um, so like on a Friday, I finish at six rather than half six because we've just worked out the, the timings in that respect. So it means I get a day off in the week, which is great, um, which I think is something that when I first came into primary care, where I was working five days a week, weekdays was something I missed. So when I came into my current role, that was one of my things i said at interview i said i want to work four days um and they turned around and went well me else does so that's fine um the other thing is i think people are very used to in the ambulance service um the unsocial hours payments and and that sort of thing um which you don't obviously don't get within primary care because you're not working on social hours um so i think that's that's the big thing so when you first come into primary care um and you're doing your um sort of you just stepped into it. it is a band seven role um problem being that band seven the top of band seven um is great but the bottom of band seven um actually because paramedics at the top of band six are then getting unsocial hours benefit they actually lose money coming into primary care so i think that's you know in this current climate i think that's a, a big big thing for them yeah. um so I, I think it is partially monetary um, and I think the other challenge is, is, so I found when people are recruiting paramedics, if you've already got a paramedic in your surgery, for goodness sake, put them on the interview panel. Okay. Um, because that hasn't happened several times. Okay. <laughs> and then they've said, oh, well, we've just recruited this person. You went, right. And did you ask them this, this and this? No. Right. So, you know, and, and the, I think this is the, that's where the issue comes a little bit. Um, and I think one of the things we could probably do a little bit better is get paramedics to come and sit in with paramedic practitioners in primary care. Um, 
so I had someone who came in and sat in with me recently um and he was just flabbergasted by the amount that I do in my role um compared to what he does as a frontline paramedic on an ambulance you know so I think you know I think people don't always have that clear expectation of actually what the role includes so I think people need to be more aware of how much responsibility and just how much you will see and be expected to see when you come into primary care um so yeah I think there's 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 that element of it as well um where people just aren't quite sure about the role and I think that's across the healthcare service paramedics have only been around really since you know the late 80s early 90s and in the current roles that they're doing now probably only in the last 10 years so people are still unsure of what you know what what necessarily we do I say to people if you think advanced nurse practitioners just replace the word nurse with paramedic so advanced paramedic practitioner advanced nurse practitioner do very much the same thing and see very much the same things but everybody's used to ANPs people aren't used to paramedic practitioners so yeah it's that expectation and realization of what what people can do I think a little bit but yeah certainly from a recruitment point of view um I think money is a big thing um but I think most of us come into primary care for that increased clinical responsibility because we want it and we want to develop and I would say to everybody there's massive scope to develop where you are supported in primary care and so if that's what you want to do do it um and the work-life balance is so much better I thought I'd never get used to not working shifts and you know these big blocks of days off that you got in the ambulance service you did four night shifts 12 hours and then you got five days off and it was like hey brilliant well actually I get three days off a week and actually, by having the evenings as well, all these things that I didn't used to be able to do, like go to the cinema in the evening or go out for the evening, I can do now. And it makes a huge difference to to your work life balance massively, massively does. So, yeah. Do you how do you interact with your PCN colleagues? So within PCN colleagues so I meet weekly with our frailty PCN nurses um they also are involved um when we have um sort of our monthly MDT meetings um so we we still interact on on that basis um the Seth leads um you know sort of send me bits and bobs as as things go go on um I do find sometimes that it is a bit fractured um within within that but we do still talk we see each other at protected learning time every month as well um so yeah we still we certainly do interact from that point of view um there is a pcm paramedic practitioner being recruited at the moment and when they come in um as has been previous they you know we work alongside each other and try and cover each other as much as we can in terms of you know if i'm not there then can they do the ward rounds and and that sort of thing so yeah we, we interact like that and the same with so the clinical pharmacists are uh, all um, employed by the PCN. So I, I see them and we work together um, to do med reviews and care home reviews. So, yeah, we interact on a daily basis. And I was going to say, in regards to your appointment book, so what, how, mm-hmm. where you say you control your workload, do receptionists book patients yep. into yours? How does it work? So um, at Mepham, we have a full clinical triage system. So when you contact the surgery, whether you phone, come in, 
or do any consult online everything goes up to like uh, in essence a care navigation service which yeah. is overseen by myself and the gps so there are very you know you know the care navigators are brilliant because you know abdominal pain etc unwell children they you know straight away they're saying right this needs to go in for a face-to-face with a gp or a face-to-face with p or a telephone call or, or whatever it might be <laughs> and they put those directly into all of our diaries in yeah. essence um we have control over our diaries in that so i have routing telephone appointment slots so if i need to follow up a patient i can book yeah. them directly into my diary um if i need to book in home visits i have slots where i can go no i need that for a home visit so i'm able to manage that in that respect and equally if i speak to a patient in the morning on a telephone call and i go actually i need to see you i'd really like you to come in face to face i can find a slot later in the day and go i'm going to book you in at half past four in my afternoon clinic and you're going to come and see me so i've got that that sort of balance in that respect Um, and then my ward round days i've got complete control over the diary and my ward round days to make sure i'm following up the patients that i want to see but also that need to be seen from the care home's point of view. So I've got that complete flexibility to do that. Um, I can book forward in my diary as well. So if I see someone, um, our books, I think, are now open about five weeks ahead so that we can book those routine follow-up appointments later on. And again, I can just book directly into that. I can also book directly into my clinical pharmacist colleague diaries and all my colleagues' diaries, basically. So if I see someone and say, and they say, oh, also, I need a meds review could you sort out that for me? I go, give me a second. Right. In two weeks time, I'll get the clinical pharmacist to give you a call and I'll put you into their diary. So we're all the same. I mean, GPs book into my diary if they see someone and say, actually, do you want to come and see Pete? And, you know, so we're, we're very flexible in that respect. And also equally, if I see someone and I go, you need to see a GP, I'm allowed to look through the GP books and go, you need to go and see a GP and I'm going to book you in to see this GP on this time, day, date. So we're all very flexible in that respect and we can move things around as we need to. Same as booking in blood tests with the nurses or ECGs or whatever it might be. So, yeah, we have that that flexibility. Um, my diaries are set up exact mirror of my GP colleagues. OK, so I get protected time at the end of my morning clinic to catch up on the admin and my results and everything else at the end of my morning clinic and the same at the end of my afternoon clinic so you don't feel if you can get it done then and there with the patient great but if you can't you know that you've got some protected time to be able to catch up on it and do it um because what i would say to people is when you come into primary care you know and you start doing all the diagnostics and things like that it takes on a whole other workload in itself so quite often on a monday morning because we've had the weekend i'll come in and i'll have 30 results blood results that i need to look through and work out what we're going to do with them are they normal do we need to do anything with them same as x-ray and ultrasound results and things like that um so that's why it's good to have that protected time built into the diary um and that's simply because i sat down and said this is what i need um so again it's application would you benefit from any administrative support so i think admin wise uh within the surgery they they do do a lot of that from yeah. uh, sort of the admin and office team um so what's really good is they will they they already filter all that through okay. um so they make sure that the blood results that are coming to you are yours yeah. um they make sure that the ultrasound reports that are coming to you are yours but they also make sure that actually if there's a letter addressed to you and it's you know it's just for your information they'll just yeah. send you a little note saying 
it's just an FYI, you don't need to do anything with it. Um, yeah. So that, from that point of view, yeah, okay. the administrative support is really crucial. Um, so, yeah, but the stuff that comes to us is clinical yeah. things, okay. which is great. So, yeah, you do get that support and that's really good. It sounds like a dream, Pete. <laughs> it's what I, it's what I like. You know, I, I really love my job um, and I really love my role. Um, I would say it's probably not for everybody um, and you have to be willing to take that leap and that step. So if you told me when I started in the ambulance service, what, 10 years ago, um, that I would be doing all this, I'd say you're completely mad. Um, but actually I am. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, that's what I say to people is there's that scope to go as far as you want to go. I've got colleagues that, you know, have now decided that they want to go and do their medical degree and are doing that, you know, so you can go as far as you want to go, um, with, with the support that's available. So yeah do what you want to do and if it's what you want to do I, I love it I love my job so yeah well end there thank you so so much you're very welcome so much for joining us if you like what you hear I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.